you're entering a realm of imagination where dreams are told between the lines of the universe. This is a Midnight Tale podcast. I'm your host, Celeste, your guide through this dreamscape. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I can't wait to share my new dream with you. Today's new tale is about witches and witchcraft in the modern day age. Follow Celeste as she traverses modern day times as a witch. What does she do for fun? How do they survive? Is witchcraft really needed in the modern day age? I stared out across the room and I looked at the patrons that were mingling around the bar and across the patio. I held a napkin in my hand and mindlessly shined the silverware in front of me to get rid of the water spots and make them impeccably clean. I was dressed up in a busser outfit, just plain old black and white. My hair was pulled up into a boring bun. The bar was fully stocked with drinks that anybody could possibly imagine, and the white marble countertop was constantly wiped down as not to leave a stain as the tipsy patrons spilled a little bit of their wine or drinks on the top of it. The patio had huge wooden beams vaulting over and across. There was light white billowing fabric stretched out across each beam, creating a shade along with giant fans that slowly spun as not to overheat the guests at the country club. The patio had a large view of the garden that was just a flight of stairs below. There was a small waterfall off to the furthest side that trickled into a creek that wound across the garden. It was filled with a variety of native and exotic plants that created a wonderland of flowers fit for any country cottage. Just beyond the boulder's edge of the garden was the vast private forest that was only for patrons' use, where they could hunt animals that were brought in by the country club specifically for them, which included a variety of animals which didn't make it into the marketing pamphlets. I was in a small servant's hallway that was out of the way of the kitchen and had a perfect view of the patio and a glimpse of the interior of the country club. Just in the servant's hallway, it was covered with rich dark wood that was finely carved into delicate shapes and complemented the marble floors and elegant wallpaper. This venue was extremely popular for any social gathering in order to show off properly their money and status. In order to be a patron, you had to be recommended by a current member, be interviewed, provide that you are of the correct social class of the right connections, and of course, provide a hefty sum of money each year. Those funds are what earned your keep at the country club. I picked up a tray of hors d'oeuvres and quietly moved closer to the patio. I tried to stay as inconspicuous as possible while I secretly snacked on the hors d'oeuvres and sipped on some wine. I spotted a fabulous older woman with long white hair that was elegantly pulled back into a half updo in a long dark purple dress. She was headed towards the restroom that was at the back of the country club. I had seen her mingling around and was absolutely popular with the crowd. I knew that she definitely had connections. I headed right behind her towards the restroom. We both entered the restroom together and the noise of the party quieted down as the door closed. I quickly looked at the stalls and noticed that none of them were occupied and we were both completely alone. I tapped on her shoulder lightly before she entered the stall and she turned around and I kept my hand on her shoulder 
as I told her, I love your dress. It is so beautiful. She looked at me with a slight smile, but slightly annoyed face as she tried to shrug off my hand. She said, thank you. I tightened my grip on her shoulder and I said, what's yours is mine for this short time. Fear briefly flashed across her face before her eyes rolled back and a gossamer silvery blue light surrounded us. My own eyes closed and I could feel myself falling to the floor. I snapped back to attention and I grabbed my original body. I quickly grabbed my head and cradled it against my new body's chest. This body's name was Juliana Cabot. Thankfully, her arms were much stronger than they appeared. And despite my body's dead weight, I was able to drag it into the biggest stall and lock the door behind me. I gently placed my body on the furthest wall away from the toilet in the big stall. I fished out my phone from my pants pocket and I quickly called my servant, Marietta, and told her to be ready for the transfer. I shuffled through Miss Cabot's purse and pulled out her lipstick. I quickly drew the traveling portal symbols on the bathroom wall. I had barely finished drawing the symbols when it began to light up and shimmer in the lipstick's color. It lifted off like glowing glittery flakes and peeled off the wall like small embers. The circle began to fill in with a soft glowing light. The light dimmed and shapes appeared through the dimming light and suddenly, like a camera coming into focus, the blurry shape sharpened into my skeleton servant. Marietta was standing in my apothecary, a giant lavishly decorated room that was sprinkled with all of my various jars, herbs, and trinkets brimming for potential potions. I knew that Marietta was standing in front of one of the chalkboard walls that was designed just for teleportation and doodling. I put my hands on my hips and I stared at Marietta as she held a large blanket that was covered with a picture of cats. Marietta, I said, a blanket is not going to be enough, especially that super thin one, okay? You need to thicken up a little bit. Last time you picked me up, I had bruises from your pointy fingers. Marietta reached up with her bony fingers to the tiger's eye amulet that was welded to her chest bone with iron. The amulet was a beautiful dark brown with golden highlights. The light shone upon it and it glimmered and glowed and the gold danced across the stone. As soon as she touched the amulet, muscle and flesh began to grow down her arms and over her body. It was quick and it writhed over her body like a small ripples of a creek. It was over in less than 30 seconds and her full body with her pale flesh was completed. She was covered with the same gossamer, silvery blue light, which was my magic. Out from the gossamer light, a black dress appeared. It was floor length with long sleeves. It had a bodice with some boning that gave her a fitted waist and supported the heavy black velvet the black dress was made out of. Marietta crossed the portal and came over and picked up my body gently from the bathroom floor then carried me back across the portal to my apothecary room and laid me gently on one of the lounge chairs. I told Marietta, make sure you come to pick me up at the front of the Parisian Country Club, okay? I want to make sure we drop off Miss Cabot's body at her home. Marietta nodded her head and said, of course, my lady. I said, before you go, make sure you take this. I walked through the portal into the apothecary room. I reached behind Miss Cabot's head and took out a strand of her white hair. I grabbed a pair of scissors off the table and I snipped the strand off and placed it into Murrieta's hands. 
I said, make sure you label this and seal it properly for future use. I'm going back to the party and I expect you to be here early, okay? So don't be late. I walked back through the portal and back into the bathroom and I waved by Murrieta as she sealed off the portal. In Miss Cabot's body, I straightened out her dress and pulled a few stray hairs out from my face. I walked out of the bathroom and back to the patio. I mingled and chatted with the rest of the guests and I was able to blend in so easily. While I possessed Miss Cabot's body, I was able to access her knowledge and memories as if they were somewhat my own, like remembering the story of a good book or a movie. I drank and ate to my heart's content and some people gave me a few weird looks. And I don't blame them. It was quite unusual for such a restrained, elegant woman to gorge herself on hors d'oeuvres and wine. But I wasn't going to be around for the extra pounds. I waltzed around the room, talking to different patrons, searching for tidbits of interesting information or events that would pique my interest. There was a few contenders, such as events across seas, where I was invited to an art gallery opening or to attend destination weddings. There was also a few older gentlemen who entertained the idea I could be their travel companion as I was a newly widowed woman. As much as the idea was tantalizing, the people who offered it weren't exactly my type. Even in Miss Cabot's body, I wouldn't want them touching me. Although all these offers seemed somewhat entertaining, I wasn't particularly interested in them as I had visited most of these places or I didn't find the host particularly exciting. If I wanted to travel to Greece, China, or the Bahamas, I would just find somebody else's body to hitchhike there too, or honestly just pay for it myself, as that would be the easier option. As I did another round across the room, I picked up marauders and stuffed them into my face. The satisfaction I felt from eating so guilt-free was one of the best of feelings ever that tingled through my body and it made it so that food never truly had tasted better. I spoke to a few new people around the room who told me about their rather dead boring investments. Some of the new patrons I was talking to definitely had some offers I was more interested in. I was looking for something a little bit more adventurous to say the least. I wasn't looking about how I could save money. Frankly, some of these people's obsession with money was laughable. As a witch, I had access to the largest funds on earth through the Global Coven Fund. While they could be a bit of a tough audience at times, they would mostly give any witch the amount of money they desired, as long as they remained connected and loyal followers to the global and local covens that the witch was a part of. Witches have been living centuries refining the task of making money. Real witches always hid in the shadows and never revealed their true selves. Witches always kept up with the latest scientific and technological trends of the time. This way, we knew how to invest our money, but also how to divert magic away from menial tasks, which could now be performed by modern technology. Witches reserved magic for purposes that satisfied our needs that modern life could never provide, such as creating healing potions or bewitching certain objects to help ease our lives. Such as the amulet that was welded onto Murrieta's chest is bewitched to give her some magical capabilities and transform her. As my skeleton servant, it helps her perform her duties. Magic still has potentials that only mortals could still dream about. 
I spotted a woman who had jet black hair and not a single gray hair in it. She wore a muted yellow dress that stood out from the rest of the crowd. I had not seen her before. She looked rather young despite what I could tell was an air of confidence and knowledge that could only be obtained at an older age. I immediately had a sinking feeling as I realized that she probably was a witch, which was probably true as they tended to be in the high ranks of society because we had steadily gained a foothold at the top ranks in order to secure ourselves a comfortable position for the rest of our lives and also to make sure we had connections to keep ourselves well-hidden and well-funded. She just about had the look of every global coven witch I had ever spoken to. I was worried because while possession was not outright banned, it was highly frowned upon and regulated. Because of the many mistakes that could happen and also the potential to be discovered, only certain witches could perform it. Possession was only supposed to be for the highest ranking of witches in the global coven, and they needed permission to use it for certain uses. I had not been caught yet because the global coven didn't really worry about unauthorized users because possession was such a unique and difficult ability. Most witches could not perform it unless taught and used potions and spells heavily. However, any witch that was caught practicing possession outside of these rules they could be severely punished, including having their funds taken away for who knows how long and other severe punishments. I tried to avoid this possible witch and started walking the other way. However, she suddenly appeared before me and she didn't even attract the attention of the other patrons around us. She looked at me with bright blue eyes. I was shocked and my heart sank all the way. I knew she was definitely a witch for her to move like that. She motioned for me to follow her, and I could see that she had many rings and amulet bracelets around her wrists. Her long fingernails had protection runes painted upon them, and along with good luck symbols. I was only able to see that because she waved her fingers at me, and I had to follow. She led me away from the patio and into the interior of the country club into a large office area that had a placard on the door that said Amaryllis Claremont. Fear started washing over me as I realized that name was very familiar, and I think she was part of the Global Coven high-ranking witches, and I had heard rumors about one of them being in the city. She motioned with her hand and said, Please, take a seat, Celeste. My fear was growing, and she knew my name, and my worst fears were confirmed. She sat down behind a large wooden oak desk that had intricately carved legs that matched the wallpaper. The color of the oak desk was the same color as the bookshelves that were embedded in the walls, and they were brimming with dozens if not hundreds of books. There appeared to be witchcraft artifacts sprinkled throughout the bookcases. The office furniture was antique like the chair I was sitting on, and looked to be in good condition. I noticed in the corner of her office was a large full-length silver mirror, and I knew it had to be a specter glass used to communicate and travel to another specter glass or to a specific location in mind. Large specter glasses were typically very hard to find because they required such a high level of skill to create and only a few artisans remained. Amaryllis Claremont cleared her throat and said, Celeste, I'm quite glad that you made it today because I got to see for myself your wonderful skill. It's quite extraordinary. I bowed my head slightly to her and said, Thank you so much, Miss Claremont. 
that is an honor hearing it from you. I am only in the global coven's good graces because I have been particularly well gifted in mind control and possession. It is my greatest talent as a witch. She nodded her head and said, Yes, I have heard through friends of mine who are particularly impressed with your abilities. It seems you were born with these abilities, correct? I nodded my head yes and said, Ever since I was little, I have had an affinity for this type of magic and has always come very naturally to me. I can only praise the goddess that she gifted me with these powers. Today I meant no harm in possessing Miss Cabot's body. I merely was... She raised her hand and stopped me. She said, I understand. A talent such as yours, it is only natural to use it and enjoy it. You should not feel barred or restrained in using something that is obviously a well-born gift. I myself tend to bend the rules as I've been graced with my potion-making abilities and crafting mother spells here and there. As soon as she said mother spells, I knew immediately where I heard the name Amaryllis Clermont. She was one of the oldest global coven members, who was an ancient one. She has been alive for centuries, if not almost a thousand years, and she was one of the founding members of the global coven, as well as crafting old and modern mother spells, which all witches use today. You could find these spells in our grimoires that were given to us as gifts for joining the Global Coven. I bowed my head even more and I kept my eyes down to the floor as I realized I was in the presence of one of the most powerful witches. She said, Celeste, lift your head. There is nothing to be ashamed of. I understand that our members can be quite zealous in making rules, but it is not a witch's nature to be bound and nor can her curiosity. I lifted my eyes to meet hers, and she had a very warm glow about her. There was no menace behind her eyes. I felt quite comforted, in fact, and I was surprised about how friendly her aura was. She asked, Celeste, how old are you? I said, I'm about to turn 125 years old this year in October. She said, oh, what a young age. What a lovely month to be born in as well. She got a far-off look in her eyes as she was probably recalling her own youth, which I couldn't even imagine what era it was and how time had changed so much since then. She said, That is truly remarkable at how such a young age you have such great control over possession and mind control. I am interested to hear in your own words what you think possession and mind control entails. And what is the difference between the two? I have heard from countless so-called experts, but none have had such a natural-born talent such as yours. I said, well, possession and mind control are very similar, and they differ in the technicalities and their difficulty. For possession, it is more of a physical act, which seems obvious because you're taking control over a physical body of another being. But that is the downside of it, is that you must be in physical contact and have a physical object such as the body or hair because there must be a physical link between you and the host. Um, Some of the advantages possession have, however, is the fact that you do retain the person's knowledge and memories that you have access to while you're in their body, which can be extremely useful in maintaining the facade of the host's personality. Also, you can use it to access areas and remember passwords that you would not be able to get under mind control. One of the biggest downsides of possession is that there is a time limit, which all depends upon the skill of the witch. Because if you stay too long in the host's body, 
we can become intermingled with their soul and be unable to leave or overwhelmed with their spirit, you would be lucky to get kicked back into your own body. Oftentimes, you could be trapped in the host body if you're not careful. Also, possession means that you have limited use of your magic within the host body. It's not a witch's body and doesn't have the same level of magical level of conduit. The worst issue of possession is if your host body dies, you will die as well. It's very rare that you will survive and be transported back into your own body. Mind control uses the same path of magic as possession. It is slightly more difficult, and that is due to the fact that it is precise magic in order to create precise memories. In a possession, there is very little mind control needed, only erasing and slightly editing memories. You want to erase any sort of magical hints. In possession, the brain goes in an autopilot or more of a comatose state, and since the body is actually doing the acts, there's no illusion or gaps in memory that need to be filled. There's only tweaking. Whereas with mind control, the mind must be awake and you must take control of a conscious brain, which is much more difficult in order to force them to do anything. There is a much higher chance of rejection from the host. Mind control, however, does not need physical touch and all you need is visualization of the host and mind control can be done from a distance. These are some of the highest levels of witchcraft that can be performed and it's a rare skill as you can imagine that only a few are able to do. You either have to have a natural affinity or lots of practice with potions and spells. I myself actually use a spell when I'm a little lazy and don't want to focus completely. She looked over at me amused and said, you're telling me you have a high enough level that you can do this spell without any chanting or potions, but you still choose to. I said, I know, sometimes it's just more convenient at times. She smiled widely and said, this is truly marvelous. I am so glad I came here today. I did not think I would be this impressed. Celeste, I have to admit, this is rather embarrassing, but despite all my years of knowledge, I have never been able to completely possess another body. I've had some mild success with mind control and have had an incomplete possession but that whole branch of magic is completely out of my grasp. I've had many teachers and I've tried many different potions and spells to help me, but I believe you are by far the most naturally talented of them all. I said, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate the praise, but I don't know if I can be your teacher. I've never had a student and I've never taught anybody else how to do this. I've explained it to my friends and a few others, but they haven't had any success. She shook her head and waved her hands in the air, which bent her gossamer magic light, and it was a glittery warm yellow. It swirled around her like a warm wind. She said, At my age, I wish to be an expert at everything, and although most of the global coven members have their specialties, I do not. I will always strive to be an expert on all magic. It has been my purpose as long as I can remember, and this magic has evaded me for so long I just wish to conquer it. I nodded my head and although I didn't quite fully understand, I felt from her aura the conviction she had and there was no changing her mind, particularly since I was in her good graces now and I was not going to jeopardize my standing or my funds. She asked, when is your next available day? I want to get started immediately on training. 
I said, actually, I have college classes that I'm attending at the University of Pennsylvania. She said, that is quite far from here in Texas. I said, I know, but me and my friends use portals to teleport me inconspicuously into her apartment. She said, that is so good to hear that you are still keeping up with the modern advances in technology. It is of high importance, and I know it will become useful for the coven in the future. Also, you are still so young, and there's so much for you to learn. I'm glad you're taking full advantage. What are you studying? I said, I'm actually studying engineering along with robotics. I really want to learn about technology, and it's fascinating how it starts bending the lines between our magic. I wonder sometimes how far humans will advance. She said, trust me, humans have created their own magic with their technology, and it always intrigues me how commonplace they view it. When I was young, this technology was magic beyond our understanding, and I didn't think it was possible, particularly for humans. She shook her head and said, Sorry to get off track, but I really must schedule you now because I have other obligations I have to attend. But what are the best times for you? I kind of sat there dazed for a second, just reeling from what is happening and that I was going to be a teacher for Amaryllis Claremont. I said, well, I don't have any classes after 6 p.m., so I guess you could come by every day after that time if you wanted to. She nodded her head and said, that sounds perfect. I will see you tomorrow then at six. Now, if you excuse me. She stood up from her desk and continued. I need to get back to the party. I have guests that I'm trying to finagle some information out of. Don't worry, stay here as long as you wish. Although, how much longer do you think you'd stay in that host's body? I looked at the wall clock and said, well, it's been about two hours and I usually have a time limit of around 10 hours. 15 if I'm really pushing it. Although I'm getting kind of sleepy and I don't want to stay in her body. That's when the trouble really happens. I made that mistake once, never again. She looked very intrigued, but looked back at the clock and said, I guess that'll have to be a story for another time. She reached out with both of her arms and I reached out as well in a traditional greeting, which we grab our forearms with both hands. It was a much more intimate way of saying hello and produced a stance that created a magic circle, which was good to ascertain the attentions of the other, while also protecting one another, because your hands were occupied. Her aura radiated the same conviction I had felt earlier, but stronger, and I could tell she wanted to understand this magic more than anything. My worry and fear melted away as our auras became in tune with our common goal. We let go of each other's arms and we headed back out to the patio area. I quickly said goodbye to everybody in my group, and I told Amaryllis I was going straight home. Secretly, I was overwhelmed with the responsibility of teaching a global coven witch. I had to make sure that I was prepared with potions and spells that could possibly help her, because it seemed like she was a very low-level student. I had no idea how much help she would need, and I wanted to make sure I made the right impression and be prepared. I quickly called up Marietta and said, I need you to come right now and pick me up. She told me that she was already waiting alongside all of the other cars and limos in front of the valet service. As I rushed outside, an older gentleman followed me out and called out, Juliana. I slowed down to a brisk walk and I turned around and realized it was one of the men that had been flirting with me. Or more like, Juliana. 
His name was Naveen and he was actually quite handsome and a little bit younger than Juliana's age. He had a full head of salt and pepper hair. He had dark tanned skin and sharp features that were complemented by a very well-trimmed salt and pepper beard. His deep-set eyes were golden hazel. He was the only older man that actually looked good. Everybody else was a creepy, crinkly, ancient dude. He walked up to me and asked, Leaving so soon already? The party has barely begun. I said, Unfortunately, I must. Quite a day tomorrow, to say the least. Was there something that you needed for me? A slow smile spread over his face and he said, Well, what I would like from you is to see you again, perhaps in a more intimate setting. I slowed down and we walked slowly next to each other. I looked up at him and said, I would like that as well. I gave him a little flirty smile. We exchanged numbers and we chatted a little as we headed towards the entrance. I asked him, are you planning on heading out now? He said yes, particularly since the one interesting thing of this party is leaving as well. He continued, do you care to join me for a little while? His hand grazed mine and I firmly grasped his hand back. I asked, do you live nearby? I could give you a ride since I'm leaving. My chauffeur would gladly take you back. He said, I actually live quite close by, but we could take a long way around. I smiled and said, I think we could do that. We reached the entrance of the country club and headed out the doors to the valet area. Marietta pulled up quickly to the side. Me and Naveen quickly got inside my limousine and we chatted for a few minutes, but it quickly devolved into a heavy makeout session. He was quite experienced and far more advanced than the college boys who floundered around trying to just please themselves or had no idea what they were doing. My dress was practically up over my head by the time we made it to Naveen's house, which of course Marietta so brashly stopped in front of. She opened the driver's cabin window and said, We have arrived. We both stopped and I said, Well, I had a wonderful time. Let me know when you're available next time. Sorry for my chauffeur. She's a little blunt sometimes. He laughed and he helped me back up onto the seat and smoothed out my dress for me. He said, I truly hope to get to know you at a deeper level. I straightened out his jacket and flipped his tie back around the right way. I said, I truly look forward to it. He got out of the limo and I sighed as I looked off at him and we waved goodbye. I was already planning my future rendezvous with him in Juliana's body. I hope things worked out nicely for them as they had a lot of chemistry beyond just my intervention. I asked Marietta, so what's the plan? She said, whatever you would like, my lady. I said, Remember, we're working on your indecision and also getting back some of your personality. She said, I have no indecision. Everything I leave up to you and I am fine with it. I'm sorry I cannot be a better companion to you. I scooted up to the front and put my hand through the window and just tapped her shoulder and said, it's all right. We're still getting used to each other. I know you just got pulled out of that grave just 50 years ago, particularly since you've been dead for probably... I think the merchant said 600 years? Oh yeah, I remember because it was the plague time. Sorry. She said, I have no memory of that, so there's no need to be sorry. I am happy to have another chance at life. I patted her blonde head and thought for a second, 
Okay, you're going to come with me back to the manor, okay? She said, of course, my lady. She headed straight away to the one spot that we had already discreetly put a circle teleporter. It already had a painted ritual circle in order for me not to create it each time. I knew it would take a little time for her to get there, and I said, call me when you get to the tunnel. I placed my hand over a pentagram that was subtly etched into the side of the limo. I said softly, Ley lines of the center's heart take me to the start, Celeste Apothecary Room. The gossamer light surrounded me in a silvery bluish light that obscured any view I had of the limo. I felt weightless and my hair started floating in the air softly and gently. I still felt grounded though, as I was in a seated position the whole time. My dress gently lifted up and swayed in the gentle current of magic. I didn't feel myself moving at all. It was almost like I was floating on top of water in a calm pool. Then I felt myself gently becoming still again, and my hair and dress floated back down. The light dimmed and dissipated to show that I was in my lounge chair that was decorated with pentagrams and traveling runes. I looked over to my left and I saw my own body still lying in the same lounge chair that Murrieta had placed me in. I sat up and took a moment to examine and look at my own body. It was a little strange to see myself in this way, as if I was looking at a video somebody else was taking for me. My light brown hair was still up in a bun and I was looking very uncomfortable in my busser's outfit. I should have told Marietta to change me out of this because I knew I'd probably have a few kinks in my back. Thankfully, it wasn't anything a potion couldn't fix, but it reminded me of the long way I had to go teaching her to be self-reliant and take initiative. I gently moved my body into a more comfortable position and stared a little longer. I spooked myself thinking about what would happen if my body's eyes opened and what would happen then. Who would be inside, if anything? What would be staring back at me in my own body? I shuddered at the thought of my body becoming a soulless husk. I sat down and leaned against the lounge chair. I placed Juliana's hand over my own and said, This borrowed time has expired. I return and you take over. I felt my soul separate and Juliana's eyes rolled back again into her head as I returned back into my own body. I snapped my eyes open and I saw Juliana's body slumped over the lounge chair. Most people remained unconscious for at least five minutes, although there had been a few who had woken up as soon as I did the transfer, which was a little awkward and I had to knock them out quite quickly again. It was always a pain because that left me with more memories that I had to tweak. Thankfully, Juliana seemed pretty out of it. I levitated her easily to the pentagram chair. I quickly looked at my phone that was in my pants pocket and Marietta had sent me a picture of Juliana's room. Marietta had used a special translucent dust to draw on the wooden floors of Juliana's bedroom. In the center of the pentagram circle was a chair, so it wouldn't be odd for Juliana to wake up in that, versus waking up on the floor. I didn't want her thinking too critically about the situation, and hopefully the makeout session with Naveen will distract her enough for the future. I chanted again, Ley lines at the center's heart, take her to the start, Juliana's room. The chair lit up and she was surrounded in a soft light and she disappeared right through the chair like she melted through. The portal opened up and inside the chair I looked through 
and I saw that she was resting peacefully in her own chair in her room. I was satisfied and closed the portal. I pulled my hair out of the bun and rubbed my scalp as I thought about all of the ingredients I needed to prepare. I passed by my specter glass and saw that my hair was finally long enough to go past my butt and still had beautiful waves. I felt the pants pinch into my side and I quickly ran up to my room, up on the manor's second floor. I entered my room and I levitated the giant hoop that I used as a portal to my closet and as a clothes changer. It glowed with a soft light and a thin membrane stretched across the hoop like a bubble. It swirled with a rainbow of colors. I stepped through the membrane and emerged on the other side in sweatpants and oversized sweater with fuzzy socks on. Although this was definitely what I wanted to wear, it made me feel instantly lazy and I couldn't spare the time. I jumped through the hoop a couple more times until I landed on an outfit. It was a dark blue cotton dress. It had white daisies embroidered randomly all over it and it had a white fancy apron on top to protect the dress. Both the apron and the dress were below knee length and I had on some regular black flats. I reached through the hoop and pulled out a giant straw floppy hat that I tied under my chin. I quickly went downstairs into the garden. The sun was still high in the sky at the manor and I felt the warmth light up my body. I always took a moment to appreciate the effort that my grandmother had taken in creating and maintaining this beast. The whole estate was over 20 acres. Just the garden took up five acres. I looked out across the land and I saw the bewitched scarecrows tending to the garden. It was their job to make sure they did all of the weeding and main maintenance. I made sure, however, to carefully check the health of each plant and the various creatures that were caged and lived on the property and the scarecrows couldn't really figure out detailed needs. However, I was on a mission today to collect a variety of herbs and flowers that I needed for my potions. I grabbed a basket out of the shed and made my way through the rows of plants. I picked lavender, sage, roses, and poppies. I scraped moss off the trees and picked chrysalises out of the butterfly hatchery. I reached into a makeshift cave and pricked a bat's wing and collected its blood into a vial. I also picked up a few shells and round rocks from the lakeshore. I ran around gathering all the different ingredients I needed for the dozens of potions just in case I needed them. I made several trips to the apothecary. Thankfully, it opened up right into the side of the garden, so I didn't have to walk too far. I spent the rest of the afternoon reading from my grimoire. I wrote down many spells that I might need and cooked up several potions that I carefully measured in jars and vials with special oils. When I finally finished, it was well past midnight, and I still hadn't finished my engineering homework, which was due tomorrow. I had already brought Murietta home, so I decided to make her do the homework so I could just turn it in. I would have her teach me what the homework covered. I levitated myself up the stairs and collapsed in bed. Then the morning came way too soon. My alarm clock went off and I groaned. I didn't want to go to school that day. Unfortunately, I couldn't just send Marietta as my double. She was quite awkward and would never pass for me. Ugh, and it would make too much explaining. I quickly got ready with one jump through the changing hoop. My friend Delilah was another witch who also went to the University of Pennsylvania. At least she actually lived there, so I had a connection and a portal that was easily available. 
but also since she lived alone, I could easily enter and leave without anybody seeing me if I walked through my specter glass. I went into my apothecary room and used my specter glass to go walk into Delilah's room. She was still in bed and I had to drag her out. I asked, did you finish the homework last night? She looked over at me and just said, nope. I sighed and let out a little laugh. I said I had Marietta do my homework. I had a crazy day yesterday. Do you want a copy of mine? She nodded as she let out a big yawn. I took some blank pages from her printer and put the homework on top of them. I put it all in between my hands and said, copy. I took my homework away and saw that the worksheets had been perfectly copied onto the blank pages. I handed them over to her and she just tossed them into her backpack. As I waited for her to get dressed, I decided to tell her about yesterday. I said, remember how I told you I was going to the Frisian Country Club to hopefully get some clues about any interesting events or artifacts? She mumbled, yeah, I remember how to go. I said, well, I happened to meet Amaryllis Claremont. She tripped over her pants as she was trying to put them on and she stumbled over and said, what? How did that happen? Delilah's future goal was to become a global coven witch and she did everything to know all the information about the political figures. Delilah said, you have to tell me everything. I, I need to know whatever she wants from you because this could be a sign of some inner turmoil within the coven. I said, I think it's more of a personal matter than a political one. I explained to her the whole conversation and how Amaryllis wanted me to teach her how to do possessions and mind control. Delilah's face was full of astonishment. And she said, you know that's the reason why she's the head of the global coven. It's because she can't do that. I said, I don't know what you mean. I don't think that was ever stated in a global coven meeting. Delilah said, of course it wasn't. The rumors I've heard and what I've dug up is that some of the most high-ranking witches do not trust each other, but they trust Amaryllis because of the very reason she cannot do possession or mind control. They're all afraid of the head witch becoming too powerful. That's why they always choose a specialty witch or a weaker witch in order to run. Don't you remember this? I said, I don't really follow politics. Delilah rolled her eyes and said, please be careful and keep in her good graces. There's no way you can back out of this now. But I think from the way you described, she doesn't seem to have ill intentions. I said, no, she was actually quite nice. Her aura was friendly. Delilah puzzled over this for a second and said, do you think she could have faked it? I said, Delilah, you know as well as I do. One of the most basic tenets of witchcraft is that an aura cannot be changed. I don't even know if the goddess herself could change it. It'd be like ripping a soul apart. Delilah said, I know. It's just kind of amazing to me that Amaryllis could have such a weakness to a certain branch of magic. It kind of makes me feel a little bit better about my lackluster performance in memorizing potions and making them. My stomach growled and I looked up at the wall clock. I realized that we had spent the entirety of the class time talking and we had completely missed it. Delilah looked up at the clock and she just started laughing. She said, well, I guess we're going to just have to find an excuse for next week. I said, no worries. I'll just make something up for our professor next week, you know, just tweak his memories a little bit. Delilah asked me, do you want to go to Sunnyside Up? 
It was a popular breakfast place in our town. I said, of course, and we both headed down to the restaurant. Afterwards, we headed towards our other classes until we finished up for the day. I returned through Delilah's portal in her room into my apothecary room and relaxed until Amaryllis showed up. Amaryllis was guided in by Marietta, who gave me a warning bell before she arrived so I could look put together. I greeted Amaryllis and we both did a coven greeting. I introduced her to the various potions and spells that we would be using. She kind of chuckled and said that I invented a couple of these spells and potions that you selected actually. I said, I hope that's a good sign because I think that something of your creation will probably turn out to help you in the long run. She asked, what type of frame of mind do you have to be in order to do a possession? Because I think that there's just a simple thing that I'm overlooking. And I feel like I'm blocked just from the beginning. I asked, well, what have you done before? You told me before you did a partial possession. What happened? She said, well, honestly, that possession was probably due to more of an emotional reaction. I won't get into all the details, but I was betrayed by a close friend. I was so upset and I took over her body. I asked, what happened after you took possession over her body? She looked up into the distance with a sad look in her eyes and said, I almost killed her. However, she recovered and we both don't really speak anymore. We just try in general to avoid each other as much as possible. I said, okay, that experience is not really going to help you with future possessions. Do you have any other experiences? She said, yes. There was one time where I did possess my teacher many, many years ago. However, since she had a strong will and was a witch, she rejected me almost instantly. I said, okay, we're going to use Marietta since she is a reanimated bewitched servant. She will not have any resistance to you, especially since I tell her not to. I sat Marietta down and told Amaryllis, I don't think about the other person at all. I have no expectations for what's in their mind. I always keep track of myself and who I am. So I'm always an individual inside their body and I do not become them. That's how you stay safe. The best trick that I do is when I'm looking in their eyes I imagine seeing my own face and my own eyes from their perspective in order to make that physical shift. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay, try it out. Amaryllis reached out her hand and touched Marietta's shoulder. I had her drink a potion and recite a spell to do the possession. She looked Marietta in the eyes and said, What's yours is mine for this short time. But nothing happened. And nothing happened for several weeks. I tried different potions. I tried different combinations of potions with spells. I tried spells with potions and spells without potions. I didn't change anything. I didn't change Marietta because if somebody couldn't possess her, they certainly couldn't possess anyone. Each day for weeks, we tried to come up with new solutions, new ideas or frames of mind in order to get Amaryllis to complete a successful possession but I could tell her magic just did not react the same way it should it was strange 
We even thought that she was cursed, but any anti-curse spells that we used did not produce a different result. Then I just got fed up. I told her, we are going to do a possession together. She looked a little shocked and was hesitant at first, but then I saw her fighting with herself. And finally she said, I thought it was impossible for two witches to go into the same body. I said, I looked up a few more techniques and it is possible for us to do that. You just have to imagine going into Marietta instead of me. My power should be able to spur yours and unblock whatever is going on. Amaryllis put her hand on Marietta's shoulder and I put my hand on Amaryllis's shoulder. We chanted together, what's yours is mine for this short time. I felt a zap of electricity, then a shove that pushed me right out of my own body. I blacked out for a second and then I snapped back awake. I realized I was in Amaryllis's body. I looked at my own body and it looked right back at me. Chills went up and down my spine as I saw a look of recognition. My own body's hand reached out towards me. I shuffled back. My body looked at me and tilted its head. And it said, it's me, I'm myself again. I was terrified and confused. I looked over towards Marietta and she was blinking awake. She looked towards me very confused in Amaryllis's body. Marietta's body said, Amaryllis? My body turned towards Marietta and said, Catherine? I was so confused. I didn't understand what was going on. I said, Catherine? My body turned towards me and I realized Amaryllis was inside my body. She said, remember that story I told you about my best friend? Well, after she betrayed me, I almost killed her. But she actually killed me. I was able to possess her body. All these years, we've been fighting together just to get out. There's been times where I've wondered if we had become one soul. We were so interwoven. If we were ever going to be separated, I couldn't do a possession myself because she wouldn't let me go and I had no body to return to. I needed a third witch, someone who had a natural gift, someone who exceeded beyond what was possible. You don't understand how long I've waited for someone like you. I was confused and I said, I don't get it. What is the point of this? We can't stay like this forever. Marietta's body opened her eyes, but the soul inside of her was Catherine. Catherine fully woke up and said, don't listen to her. She was the one who attacked me first. She's a spiteful witch who was always just jealous of me. I could care less about their drama. I lunged towards my body. My body jumped back and Amaryllis ran to the specter mirror. She jumped through and I followed right after her reaching out, trying to grasp anything I could. We had jumped through a plain glass of another specter mirror and a shop. The shopkeeper yelled out. My body flew out into the busy street in what looked like New Orleans. I followed close behind Amaryllis. I heard a thump and I quickly looked behind me. There was Marietta's body flopping through the specter mirror. I turned around and looked for my body. I spotted a head with long, light brown hair. I chased her down the street, but as soon as I turned her around, it was some random girl. I quickly looked through all the bars that were close by, 
but I couldn't find anything. Marietta's body came up close to me. Catherine asked, did you spot her? I said, no, but I'm trying to find a person with a possessed aura. I know that I can seek it out, but I still can't believe I didn't pick up yours when you were together. Catherine said, it's like we were both possessing each other and it turned us into one swirling soul. No one has been possessed as long as we have. It's been a horrible ordeal living with her every day, every hour, as she tries to take control over my body. <sighs> it has been the worst hell with a dead spirit clinging on to me and trying to find a way out. I blocked out some of what Catherine was saying and I focused my energy on finding and picking up the possessed aura. I did ask, how did nobody know what happened? Catherine said, this is before we were really anybody, before anybody really knew who we were. We were both still young, still in school. I think we were in high school. I played it off as an accident and Amaryllis had died on our adventure into the cursed forest. We both had our interests to lie. Suddenly, I picked up a possessed aura a couple blocks over. I started running over and as soon as I turned the corner, I felt the possessed aura coming towards us. I turned another corner and came face to face with a huge bald man who immediately jumped back and then punched Marietta in the face as she rounded the corner. A couple of guys down the street were yelling at him to come back. I guess he was a bouncer at one of the bars. But I knew this was Amaryllis possessing this guy. I tried to grab at him and I screamed, where is my body? He laughed and shoved me off. Amaryllis said, I'm going to find myself a new body. I ditched yours somewhere around here. I tried using a binding spell, but the bald guy threw his shoes at me before I could finish the spell. Then the guy turned around and ran, shoving people out of the way. I started running after him and I kept getting bounced around by all of the tourists. I lost sight of him and I cursed under my breath. Again, I looked for the possessed aura. It actually wasn't too far down the street. I ran down again following the path and I saw the bald guy slumped over in an alley next to a trash can. I looked across the street and realized that Amaryllis had possessed a black woman who was casually trying to walk down the street. Her family sat in an outdoor restaurant patio and they were calling out to her to come back. I weaved in between the crowd of tourists on the street and suddenly she disappeared. As I got closer to the spot, I realized that she had collapsed. People were gathered around the black woman's body, concerned. I looked around again, but I was so frustrated and anxious, it was so hard to focus. I looked for anyone who looked out of place. I noticed an Asian woman slightly jogging towards the police barricade that blocked off the street for the tourists. I climbed up a couple steps to an apartment building to get a better view. I saw the woman quickly grab the officer's arm, who then collapsed. The other officers quickly swarmed around them, and the possessed officer shook the woman off and walked to his car and drove away. Other officers tried to stop him and called to him, but he pushed past them. I knew Amaryllis was on a war path. I took a breath and I tried to reach out and mind control the officer's body. But even though I wasn't a witch's body, I was so disconnected from my magic and frazzled, Amaryllis easily swatted away my attempts. I have never seen anybody possess so many people in a row, let alone from a human host body. 
Catherine in Marietta's body finally caught up to me and was wiping her bloody nose. She saw the police car speeding away. She hung her head. I turned towards her. There's nothing more we can do. We can't chase her. And the only portal that I know is back over at the shopkeeper's. And I don't have anything on me to create a portal. Catherine said the best thing we can do is inform the global coven of everything. But the only good thing out of this night is that she's not inside my body anymore. She reached out and patted my arm and looked longingly over, finally freed from the grips of her mortal enemy. At least in her mind. I said, we have to look for my body. We know that she doesn't have it. Catherine nodded and she said, let's go. I took a deep breath and searched for that connection to my own body. It was thin like a spider's web, but strong. It glowed and it led me right back to the bar that we had found Amaryllis as the bouncer. As we drew closer, I realized my body was sprawled in the back of a pickup and was covered by a tarp. I don't know how it got there, but the engine was already on and ready to go. I flew into the bed of the truck and started screaming my head off. The guy who was coming back to the truck ran away, and a couple of tourists came to check to see what was going on. I managed to reassure them enough to have them go away, and me and Marietta dragged my body back to the shop where we had all landed. The shopkeeper was waiting outside and hurried us in. He was cursing under his breath about how foolish us witches could be. We entered the back room and laid down my body on the table. I was so grateful to have it back, and I quickly took Marietta's hand and grabbed my own body's hands as we chanted. This borrowed time has expired. I return and you take over. I felt my soul separate from Amaryllis's body, which was really Catherine's. I gently floated back into my own body and blinked awake. I looked over at Catherine and Marietta's body and they were both coming back. I flexed and cracked my hands and rolled my shoulders. I jumped off the table and called to Marietta, let's go. Catherine said, where are you guys going? Thought we planned on going to the Global Coven. I said, well, I changed my mind. We're gonna go catch a witch. Catherine smirked and said, I'm ready to burn a bitch. The shopkeeper just looked at us and shook his head as the three of us strolled through the specter mirror, ready for a hunt. everybody for listening to a midnight tale podcast i'm glad that you were all here today please let me know down in the comments what you thought about today's story and what you think about the witch's world in the modern era also let me know if you would like me to continue the story of celeste as a witch in another story please leave it down in the comments below and don't forget to like and subscribe. It really helps us out and we all greatly appreciate it so much for your support. This is Celeste signing off. Until again, I'll see you in your dreams.